0: Thanks for tuning in to our weekly message. Be sure to visit our website, weareheartland.us to find out more about the ministry and all of our upcoming events. Well, hey everyone, it's great to be with you again today. I hope that you are doing really well. Today, I wanna dive right in and I wanna start with a question. And the question is, where are you living? Where are you living? At first, that may seem like an awkward way to ask the question, but I think it'll make sense why I'm asking it that way as we go along. So the question for the day is simply, where are you living? Now, of course, there are a lot of ways to answer that question. Maybe you would answer that question in relation to where you physically live. Maybe you would say, John, I live in Dane County, Wisconsin, the capital of our state. It's a county that has so much going for it. There's lots to do. There's a great food scene. It's diverse, has a lot of opportunity. Or maybe you would Maybe you would answer in relation to where you've just moved from. Maybe, maybe that's uh, a better way to define the season of life that you're in, or at least that you're coming out of. Or maybe you'd answer the question in relation to where you want to live. Maybe you're ready to move on, ready to start fresh somewhere else. My teenage son just got back from spending a couple of weeks with his grandparents who live in Southern Alabama. And the whole time he was down there, they did one fun activity after another. They went to the beach, and then they went deep sea fishing. They went skimboarding. They started doing all of these things that he can't really do here in Wisconsin. And now my son is back home, and he's convinced that he needs to live someplace more fun where he can be outside all year long. Maybe he will someday. Maybe he will be one of those people who decides early on in life, I'm going to live someplace different when I get to decide for myself, and then they do it. I don't know. Time will tell. But it seems that that a lot of people like to define where they are living in relation to the weather. How many times do you hear people talk about how they live where it's hot or they live where it's cold? I saw this meme last winter that made me laugh. It said, the air hurts my face. Why am I living where the air hurts my face? When I ask the question, where are you living? You might think of your answer in relation to the stage of life that you're currently in. Maybe you're in your 20s or 30s and you're living in a season of life that has a lot of growth. There's a lot that's happening. Maybe a new job, a new significant other. Maybe you just got married or had a baby. Maybe you just bought your first house and you're living in a season of new and exciting. Maybe you are in the middle stages of life where things are fairly consistent, fairly stable. You've created a pretty predictable routine and you're in the flow now of your 40s, your 50s, your 60s. Or maybe you're in retirement and you're enjoying a new level of freedom to do what you want to do when you want to do it. I can only imagine what that's like. Well, I saw a quote recently that touched on these different seasons of life that made me laugh. It said, when you're 20, you care what everyone thinks about you. When you're 40, you stop caring what people think about you. And when you're 60, you realize nobody was actually thinking about you. When I ask the question, where are you living? Many of you no doubt think of your current situation or the current situation that you're living in. Maybe you're living in a sweet place right now. Things are good. You're not worried about much. Your relationships are strong. The people close to you are healthy, both emotionally and physically. You like where you are living. It's a good place to be. Others of you would say, John, I'm living in a season of transition. You might be one of the millions of Americans whose life has been tossed upside down because of the pandemic. And now you don't really have a lot of clarity I understand that tends to be a very scary season of life and I know that because we have a lot of families in our church going through that right now and the need for the church, the need for us to be here to minister to each other has never been higher. Others of you are living in just a painful place right now. Maybe you're living in a divorce or you're living in the loss of a loved one. Where you're living is hard, and there's no way around it. Some of you might feel like you're living in the in-between. You're living in the gap between the promise and the fulfillment. You feel like God has shown you where he was going to take you, but then you look around and you think, this doesn't look anything like the future that he showed me. And so let me ask you again, where are you living? I want you to think about this for a minute. Obviously, teaching online, I can't pause for a couple minutes to give you the space to think about it, but I want to encourage you to spend some time thinking about how you would answer the question, where are you living? If you're not watching this live on Sunday morning with us and you're watching it later on Heartland On Demand, maybe you just want to pause the teaching right here, right now and spend some time thinking about it. Spend some time answering that question for yourself. How would you define where it is that you're living? And then come back and push play and listen to the rest of this teaching. The reason that I'm asking you about where you're living currently is because we are in a series right now at Heartland called Summer in the Psalms. And all summer long, we've been reading a few chapters in the book of Psalms together each day. And by the end of this series, we will have read the entire book of Psalms together. If you're just joining us, you can download the reading plan on our website and we'd love to have you join us. Then each weekend when we gather together, we're pausing to camp out in one or two of the psalms that we read the previous week. And today we're going to look at Psalm 84, which speaks directly to this question of where are we living? And so what I want to do is I want to read you the entire psalm, Psalm 84, straight through. And then we're going to go back through and break it down verse by verse and make a few observations. But beginning in verse 1, we read, How lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty! My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Even the sparrow has found a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may have her young. A place near your altar, Lord Almighty, my God and my King. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. They go from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion. Hear my prayer, Lord God Almighty. Listen to me, God of Jacob. who trusts in you. Have you ever thought about where God lives? Does God live in a home? Does he live in a house in heaven? If he does, is it like an enormous mansion with a pool and a putting green? I mean, that's what I would do if I was God. I'd have a putting green at my house because I'm a terrible putter. Or maybe it looks like the castle in Downton Abbey. Does God maybe just sit on top of a cloud all day, ruling the universe from his throne chair? Well, going back to verse 1, the psalmist, as he's thinking about this, maybe it's almost like he was daydreaming as he was imagining the place where God dwells. And he he writes in verse 1, he says, How lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty! Whatever he imagines, I think his point is less about how lovely the decorations are of God's dwelling place, right? It's not like he's talking about the crown molding or the wainscoting. He's more so saying how lovely, how good it is to be with God in God's dwelling place. And then he expands on thought in verse 2 when he writes, My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. You probably know from experience what it feels like for your soul to yearn for something. You want it so badly. It's like the deepest part of you is straining for something to be true, for something to happen. Maybe you felt this when you were falling in love with someone and your soul yearned for them. Your soul yearned to be with them in an exclusive, committed way. To spend the rest of your life with them. Maybe you look around at the unrest in our world today and it breaks your heart and your soul yearns for God to bring change, to bring healing to our land. The psalmist says that his soul yearns to the point of fainting for the courts of God. Now you have to remember that this was written about 3,000 years ago before Solomon's temple had ever been built in Jerusalem. But at this point in time, the nation of Israel had the tabernacle, which had been built by Moses during the Exodus. And at this point in time, the tabernacle was located in Gibeon. And even as a tabernacle, which was basically a big tent, it had different courts extending out from it where different people were allowed to go. It was the center of their faith. It was where God's presence dwelled with them. It was where sacrifices were made, where offerings were brought, and where God's praises were sung. And the author writes that his soul yearns to be in the courts of the Lord. He just wants to be as close to God. He just wants to be in the presence of God. This is such a powerful desire. And then the the second half of verse 2 says, My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Why does he say that both his heart and his flesh cry out? Isn't his heart part of his flesh? Well, even 3000 years ago, the heart represented something deeper than our flesh. Even back then, the heart was a metaphor for our spirit, for our soul, that part of us that is deeper than our physical body. And so by saying that both his heart and his flesh cry out, he's saying my complete being, everything in me, everything about me cries out for the living God. This is coming from a deep place. He is not casually looking for God. He's not flippantly listening for the voice voice of God to maybe someday speak to him. He's crying out for the living God. For me, it brings to mind the very last verses in the Bible, the last words in the book of Revelation. You might remember that that as Revelation comes to an end, it was John who was thinking about the pain and the suffering in the world. And as he was overwhelmed by all of the tragedy and all of the evil that he saw, Jesus promises, I am coming soon. And John cries out, come Lord Jesus. I don't think there's any more real, any more raw prayer than that. From a deep place, simply crying out, Come, Lord Jesus. And so often today, this is how I feel. This is what I think. This is what I pray. Some of you no doubt have heard, but just this week... Someone stole Dugan and Lindsay Sherbandi's wheelchair accessible vehicle out of their driveway. After the pain that they've had to endure since their daughter Ava's accident almost a year ago, they finally got a wheelchair accessible vehicle to be able to take her places. And just a couple months later, someone steals it and now it's gone. And my heart cries out, come Lord Jesus. When I talk to those of you who have lost your jobs because of the economic shutdown, it breaks my heart, and I wish that I could connect you with the job of your dreams, a job that will pay you everything you're worth, but I can't. And so I just pray, come, Lord Jesus. Over the last few months, as I've done funerals for families who weren't allowed to have more than 10 people present to say goodbye to a loved family member, I think, come, Lord Jesus. As I've done weddings where brides and grooms have had to celebrate alone, told it's not safe to have their friends celebrating the love that they share, I've thought, come, Lord Jesus. And when I look at the fighting among people in society, when I look at the tension in our very own community, when I see the division in our country today, it makes me want to just cry out, come, Lord Jesus, come. But then... Right when I think, come, I don't want to live in this brokenness any longer. God quietly reminds me that he has come. And that while things are not yet 100% perfect the way they will be after the second coming of Christ, the truth is that we are all invited to live in his presence today. That is where we want to live. Verse 3 says, Even the sparrow has found a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may have her young a place near your altar. During this past Wednesday's chapel service, Jake read a fantastic promise from Jesus during the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus compared God's provision to us, or for us, to that of birds. In Matthew 6, Jesus Jesus is recorded and quoted as having said, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life. Do not worry about what you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food? and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or stow away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Jesus is asking you, If God cares about the daily activities of the birds of the air, how much more does He care about you and the details of your life? God loves you, He's watching. He's aware of what you're going through and he is not passive. He isn't in the shadows or watching from a distance. God is with you today and you have access to him and his power and his spirit. You are invited to live with, the, with, with his presence and his spirit with you. You are invited to make a conscious decision that you are going to live in the presence of God every moment of every day. And verse 4 comes back to this idea It says, blessed are those who dwell in the house of the Lord. Or blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. So let me ask you again. Where are you living? Those who dwell in the house of the Lord can't help but be constantly praising him. And why is that? Is it because they should? No. Is it because they ought to? No. It's because when you dwell in the house of the Lord, you realize how good he is and you just can't help but be ever praising him. For the psalmist, this thought of dwelling in the house of the Lord, it was so good that it just boils over and he exclaims in verse 10, better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. Now come on, hyperbole? When it's not really hyperbole, it's actually literal? Let's go, this is so good. When's the last time you read something that made you wanna yell because it was so good? I hope about three seconds ago because this is that good. The written word does not get much more insightful, not, not much more elegant or truthful than this. Better is one day in God's court than a thousand days anywhere else literally just imagine with me for a moment if you could have one day just 24 hours in the actual presence of God himself or you could have three years because that's about how long a thousand days is it's about three years imagine you could have 24 hours one day in the presence of God or you could have three years in this mess which would be better There's no comparison. Give me one day in the courts of God. You can have all of this. You can keep it. Being in God's presence. In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul concluded that it's not even worth comparing our present sufferings to the glory that we are going to be part of when we are fully in the presence of God Almighty for all time. And because that's true, the psalmist concludes at the end of verse 10, he says, I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. What's a doorkeeper? Well, it's a servant. It's one of the lowest jobs in a household. He was saying the lowest position in the Lord's house is infinitely better than the highest position among the godless this is why some churches refer to their volunteer team as doorkeepers i kind of like that sentiment because it's someone who is saying you know what i don't care what i do put me where you need me i don't need to be in the spotlight i don't need a fun job i'm here to serve i just want to be part of the household of god True movements of God in our world today are always built on the foundation of doorkeepers. Praise God for the men and women who serve with that type of perspective here at Heartland. And in a very real way, right now we need some people to step up and be doorkeepers by opening their homes and hosting a watch party for the next four weeks. If you're up for that, please get signed up today. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I love that. And then finally, verse 11 says, For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. Thinking about this verse, verse 11 Noting that God does not withhold any good thing from those whose walk is blameless and thinking about the question of where am I living, where am I dwelling, made me think about a cruise vacation that I went on one time with my in-laws. Ashley and I had just gotten married and her parents decided that they were going to take the family on a cruise. And Ashley has three younger brothers, so it was going to be her parents and her brothers and me. Somehow, I snuck into the family just in the nick of time. And I had heard that cruises were great, but I had never been on a cruise before. And I didn't really know how good a cruise can be. And let me just tell you, if you've never been on a cruise, it is pretty amazing. I mean, you're on a boat right? In the middle of the sea. But it's also like you're in an amusement park mansion and there's a million awesome things to do. A million awesome things to do and a million awesome things to eat. And the food is not only amazing, it's also free and unlimited. You can eat as much as you want anytime you want. You want fries at one o'clock in the morning? You got it. Step right up. Would you like a Coca-Cola with that, sir? Why, yes, I would. Thank you very much. And I was about 24 years old when we went on this cruise. I could eat whatever I wanted, and I didn't gain a pound. It was a glorious season of life that has unfortunately passed me by. But it was a vacation I'll never forget. For the rest of my life, we made so many great memories with our family. But my point is that on this cruise, it felt like there was no good thing being withheld. And when it comes to living in the presence of God, I am here to testify today to the fact that no good thing is withheld. And if you've never experienced how good it is for yourself, let me just tell you, like a travel agent who just got off a cruise ship, there is no better place to live than in the presence of your heavenly Father. You are invited to dwell with Him. And so let me ask you one last time before we close: where are you living? Are you living in the presence of God? Or are you settling for something less? In the late 1990s, an artist named Matt Redman wrote a song titled, Better Is One Day. And when I decided that this would be the psalm that I was going to talk about this weekend, I went to Brent, our worship leader, and I asked him if he knew how to play this song. And his answer was, John, I wasn't born when that song came out. And I was like, well, I wasn't born when Amazing Grace came out, but I still know it, so... Anyway, Brent either did know the song or he learned it this week because I thought the only appropriate way to close our service today would be by reflecting on the words of this great song, a song that is taken literally straight out of the words of Psalm 84. And so let me pray for you, and then I want to invite you to join me in worshiping with Brent in this moment. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for the opportunity to dig into scripture together. Lord, we're so grateful for this reminder that there is no place that we would ever want to live outside of your presence. Lord, that better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. And Lord, I just pray for everyone who's not experiencing life in your courts Lord, I pray that they would respond to the open invitation that you extend to all people to live in your presence, to live in your courts, to dwell in your house. And Lord, I pray that the incredible blessing that we find as we do that, I pray that it would be inspiring to other people as your kingdom expands in our community through what you're doing in us. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. And everyone who agreed with this prayer said, amen. Thanks so much for listening. Join us online for our full Heartland service on Sundays at 9 a.m. and our community chapel on Wednesdays at 7 p.m.